We would like to welcome you this morning to Abundant Life Ministries as Pastor Stuart Guthrie brings a message from God's Word. We hope it challenges, encourages, and strengthens your walk with the Lord. The book of Jonah portrays that God is a compassionate God. That He extends His grace and His mercy to those that repent. That process starts with self first. God had mercy on Nineveh, and Nineveh was a people known for brutality, for violence, for their wicked ways. And we're going to look into the life of this, what I call a roller coaster Christian life. That you know what many of us are experiencing today. Many of what we see Jonah experiencing throughout that book. This roller coaster started out with life seemingly calm for Jonah. Maybe even with a steady climb of being God's prophet, God's man. But as we peek into the first chapter of Jonah with God speaking, the roller coaster still climbing, God shocks Jonah with an unthinkable task. And so now the roller coaster, having reached the peak, you ever been on to Six Flags over Georgia and got on the scream machine or, or whatever new ones are out, you can tell it's been a while since I've been there, and you get on that and it's... And it takes you to the top and you get to the top and it's, it's time to go down. That's where Jonah's at right now. Jonah's been going up, his life's great, everything's good, and all of a sudden, God speaks. And listen, when God speaks to you, be ready. Many times we think when God speaks, oh, it's going to be great. Listen, a lot of times when God speaks, it means the difficulties are coming. I was talking to one of my elders at Mission Bible Fellowship that I used to preach at last night, and he said, how are you doing? I said, man, I'm doing great. He goes, really, how are you doing? I said, uh, not very good. He said, well, what's going on? I said, man, it should be a lot easier than this. He, don't you, I said, Rob, don't you think it should just be easier? He said, yeah, he just laughed. He said, yeah, seems like it'd be easier. But it's not. Ministry's difficult. The Christian life is not a walk in the park. Christianity means Difficulty. But we don't tell people that. We just want them to come forward, pray a prayer, receive Christ, and life's going to be hunky-dory. No, Jesus says, if, in, if you worship me, you will endure trials. Life will be difficult. If they persecute me, they will persecute you. He who wants to come first must come last. He who wants to live must die. Difficulties. And here, Jonah is at the top. The coaster, having reached his peak, and Jonah is now aware of the problem that lays ahead in this roller coaster at full speed, begins to descend to the bottom in a powerful manner. God says, go. Go to Nineveh. Cry out against it, God says. But Jonah doesn't like the people of Nineveh. 
He wants nothing to do with seeing these people have a chance to repent and come back to God. And so that realization that takes place is that He has been the one chosen by God to deliver the message, to cry against them. He begins a faster descent on the roller coaster of emotions. He goes down to Joppa. He gets in a boat going in the opposite direction of where God calls him to. He gets down into the bottom of the boat. You see the, the transcending idea that he's going away from God. And then he goes even further into the boat and he goes to sleep. Trying his best to get away from what God has called him to. Storms come and now he's brought down even further. The only way that the problem could be fixed is for him to go down even further than the bottom of the boat. And so now the roller coaster has picked up speed. It's descending downward more than Jonah has ever seen. And he tells these men, throw me overboard. And that's what they do. And just when we think the rides begin to come upward and ascending, Jonah goes even lower. Jonah's cast into the ocean and sinks where? Down towards the deep part of the sea and the roots of the mountains and then is swallowed by a great fish. And in this belly of the fish, when the roller coaster is about as low as it can possibly get, the G-force is now picking up and you're like... Mm. You ever been on that roller coaster? I mean, it just drives your brains and your guts and everything down in your feet. That's where Jonah's at. He's down as far as he could possibly get. And he prays. God delivers him, and now God speaks to him a second time, giving him another chance to do what he's told the first time. Proclaim the proclamation which I have given to you, to Nineveh. And so Jonah does. You know, many times it's not until we get down, 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 down in the lowest place of a, possible, a possibility is when we actually have the opportunity to hear God speak. It's not until we put on our back that we begin to look up. And that's what happened to Jonah. This morning I wonder how many here are going through difficulties of life hardships, trials, struggles, difficulties financially, difficulties in the marriage, difficulties in children that we have, difficulties in whatever the case may be, maybe, just maybe, we're at the bottom. And God is going to begin to speak to us and to show us maybe again what it is that we're to do. Jonah is now... Steady on the rise. He's headed upward on the roller coaster ride of emotions. He is up in following God's direction and he proclaims the message to this great city of Nineveh. They respond well by repenting and God relented concerning the calamity in which he had told them he would do. So Jonah is up again and he's about to reach the top. 
there's a major change that's about to happen on this roller coaster because, you know, sometimes when you go down and you come up, what happens again? Right over that hill, there's another downward turn. And this downward descent that is in the sight of Jonah is where our passage begins today. If you will, let us look at Jonah chapter 4. Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. Let us read. But it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and one who relents concerning calamity. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For death is better to me than life. And the Lord said, Do you have good reason to be angry? Then Jonah went out from the city and set east of it. There he made a shelter for himself and sat under it in the shade until he could see what would happen in the city. So the Lord God appointed a plant and grew it over Jonah to shade him over his head to deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. But God appointed a worm when dawn came the next day and attacked the plant and withered it. And when the sun came up, God appointed a scorching wind and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and begged with all of his soul to die, saying, Death is better to me than life. Then Jonah said, Then God said to Jonah, Do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? And he said, I have good reason to be angry even to death. Then the Lord said, You had compassion on the plant for which you did not work, which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right hand and left hand, as well as many animals? Well, there are three things this morning from this passage of Jonah that I want us to grasp. Number one, I want us to see the irritation of Jonah. Secondly, I want us to see the isolation of Jonah. And thirdly, I want us to see the issue of Jonah. Let me remind you that Nineveh has repented of their wicked ways. God has changed His mind and decided not to overthrow them like He said He would. And he shows instead mercy and grace. Let me tell you, you could preach a message that in itself. You could preach a message in that itself. And so that brings us to point number one. Number one, we see the irritation of Jonah. He says, but it greatly displeased Jonah. And he became angry and he prayed to the Lord and said, please, Lord. Was not this what I said while I was in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. And the Lord said, Do you have reason to be angry? 
I don't know about you, but I want to know why Jonah is angry. Here we see evil people that were not godly, were living lives of brutality, of sin and wickedness and violence, and they have turned and they repented, and now Jonah has become irritated. Angry with God, so to speak. It was evil to Jonah. A great evil, you could say. It's evil that God could simply let these wicked people off the hook, Jonah thought. The people of Nineveh, they deserve to be punished. They've earned their calamity, and Jonah wants God to do his job. Boy, hatred is an evil stronghold, isn't it? And it's the very thing that's taken Jonah down now, this emotional roller coaster once again. He's been down there once before. Now he's looking over the edge of disaster, which his anger could carry him down to. And while there are many, many lessons that we could preach from this passage right here this morning, let me ask you today, how about you this morning? Let's, let's get into application right off the bat. How about you this morning? What is it within your very soul that angers you? What is it that could carry you over the edge and put you into a descending emotional roller coaster ride? Listen, Jonah hates these people. His anger towards God is just not acceptable. And so hear me this morning, I know people that may have hurt you. There may have been someone that's done you wrong, man or woman or mother or father, aunts or uncles, husbands or wives, children or adults, maybe they've hurt you. Maybe someone you love. But I want to encourage you this morning never to hate those people. Never hate those people. We need to pray for those people. Pray that God would change their hearts so that they would repent and that they would turn back to God and that they would ask for forgiveness and then they could be reunited to Jesus Christ. And who knows, maybe then and then we could all be reunited together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Let me tell you, as your pastor, I've been hurt. With hurts that still haunt me even at 36 years old today. But I don't hate those people. I love those people. I can honestly stand up here with a sincere heart and say there's not one single person that walks on the face of this earth that I hate. Not one. I love those people. I pray for those people. That God will change their hearts, that they will come to know Jesus Christ like I've been so blessed to do today. Nothing is unforgivable except that which is rejecting the Holy Spirit. But not Jonah. In the middle of his irritation, 
this anger that Jonah has toward God and Nineveh, we can learn a valuable lesson. Listen, those who have anger within their spirit, listen to what this prophet does. We don't need to make the same mistake that he does. He prays to the Lord. If you're, anger, if you're angry this morning, you're better off to pray about it instead of act on it. That's what he does. He prays about it. Because there is no righteous support for anger like we see here in Jonah. Now, there is righteous anger. We see Jesus there clearing the temple. But here we see an unrighteous anger. An anger that wishes someone or some people to get what they deserve. Well, for Jonah it was much more. Well, maybe this morning you know someone that stole from you. I hope they get what they deserve, you say. Oh, he cheated on me or she cheated on me. I hope they get what's coming to them. You did this awful thing to my child and I hope you dot, 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 you fill in the blank. You said this about me behind my back. I will never forgive you. There is no room in the soul for the Christian for this kind of anger in life. And when we do feel these things, we need to pray. The pressure that Jonah felt the first time caused him to run, but now he proceeds to pray. And he desires to make known his concern of his anger to God. Jonah missed a lot. And even while sinning, he gets it right. We must be willing to pray for those whom hurt us, those whom even maybe hate us, is it a reality that though you may love everybody, there are people who hate you? Of course. And Scripture says, love them even more. Pour, pour hot coals on their heads. Love them. Matthew 5.44 says, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Luke 6.28 says, Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Job 31.29 says, If I have rejoiced at my enemy's misfortune or gloated over the trouble that came to him, no, I have not allowed my mouth to sin by asking for his life in a curse. Romans 12.19 says, Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. If anyone should hold a grudge, it should be these people. Esau, remember that? We talked about it in Sunday school this morning. He became angry because of what Jacob did. Joseph, don't you think he had a right to hold a grudge? He should have revenged his brothers. It sold him into slavery. That left them for dead. David. He should have cut off more than the shirt tail of that man that threatened Saul. But he didn't. Stephen, as he was being stoned to death, he cries, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. Paul, as he was unsupported and deserted and even left for death, may it not be held against them. 
And most of all, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in Luke 23, 33-34 reads, When they came to the place of the, called the skull, there they crucified Him. And the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left, but Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots, dividing up His garments among themselves. We must pray for those who hurt us. Listen, you may not... Be angry right now. You may not have anyone angry against you, but the greatest thing is is to be prepared that when somebody does get angry with us, we know how to respond. Jonah prays and reveals his heart and his anger. Please, Lord, was this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, order in order to forestall this I fled to Tarshish. For I knew that you are gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, and one who resent, relents calamity. Don't miss that he says right here, in order to forestall. You see, the sovereignty of God accomplishes what it desires. We can try to forestall things, but ultimately what God's sovereign plan is shall unfold. That's why we call it the sovereignty of God. Jonah wanted to forestall the work of God, which was going, which, what God was going to do to Nineveh. He knew he was gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, and one that relents concerning calamity. Have you ever noticed in your Christian walk how easy it is not to pray for those that your enemies? I've had enemies before, okay? I'm not the holy one standing here. I, I, I have people that I know that, that, that sometimes deep down inside, I, I kind of want them to get what they deserve. Have you ever noticed how easy it is not to pray for those that you struggle with? It's a command. And commands are not taken easily because we are prideful people, right? And we want people to get what they deserve. It's kind of our human nature, our sinful nature. Jonah is angry because God shows mercy toward an evil people. Compare this to something in our day. We, we have these people whom have decided to attack America. They were successful in accomplishing this mission. And we've seen the evilness. We still see it unfold across the world. We've seen their violence, their wicked ways. And someone that may have been near or dear to you may have even been a victim of that. Our first response is what? Attack back. Jonah was okay with proclaiming, right? We didn't hear any arguments about proclaiming. We, 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 he, he proclaimed fine. It was, it was what the result was going to happen that he had to issue with. Forty days and you will be overthrown, Nineveh. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's don't see the relent. Calamity. 
But he knew something was up. That's why he ran the first time. Jonah wishes with all of his heart for God to overthrow these people. An eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth mentality. You heard that in our day. You, you hear that a lot from people who aren't in church. They say, well, an eye for an eye and a tooth for, for a tooth. But they don't read the whole passage. God didn't see it this way. Jonah says, it's better to die than to see this happen. Because of this, verse 3, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For death is better to me than life. The Lord said, do you have good reason to be angry? What we have here is a pouting prophet. He is now descending on the roller coaster of emotions. Is there someone in life that you hate so bad that it would be better to see your life end than to see mercy come upon them? I sure hope not this morning. Jonah knows these people. He knows their history. Kill me, Lord. It's better to see my death than mercy in their life. We see the irritation of Jonah, the anger that has developed, but secondly, we see now the isolation of Jonah. A lot of times, anger brings isolation. Would you not agree with that? Isn't that just like, God's just, I mean, the, 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 the scriptures are great. How many people know somebody who gets angry and what do they do? The first thing they do is, poo, they're gone. And they isolate themselves. I bet you can think of two people right now in your life that's so angry that they're isolated themselves. They're just sitting there all by themselves having a what? A pity party like the pouting prophet Jonah is. You know, early in my walk with God, God was dealing with, with me. And there was a time when I was angry. And my sin would cause me to isolate myself. It's what the devil wants us to do is to isolate ourselves. And if I'm not careful, listen, I can catch myself wanting to do it now. If I'm frustrated, it's a whole lot easier for me to go get out on that mower and mow grass by myself, right? It's isolation. Looking for false comfort. Because at some point, Reality has to come back and you got to get back in the game. And the problem still exists. Some of you may be yourselves this morning living in isolation. Or thinking isolation is of some way beneficial. Some of you... Or maybe trying to separate yourselves from your duties. From your family, from your life, from your Bible, and even maybe from yourself. All because maybe there's an anger towards God. And while we know the anger of Jonah and the cause of his anger, there are many different reasons for people to be angry with God. Would you not agree? 
and to place themselves in isolation. It won't fix the problem. It may give temporary satisfaction, but isolation always leads to devastation. So it's important that those whom have isolated themselves, you and I, be the tools in which God used to tell them, come out of that isolation. Address the issue. Face to face with the person that you're angry with or that you're struggling with before it devastates your life. Verse 5 begins, Then Jonah went out from the city and set east of it. And there he made a shelter for himself and sat under it in the shade until he could, could see what would happen in the city. So the Lord God appointed a plant to grow and it grew over his head to be a shade over his head and to deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. But God appointed a worm when the dawn came the next day and it attacked the plant and it withered. And when the sun came up, God pointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that, the, that he became faint and begged with all of his soul to die, saying, it's better, death is better to me than life. You see what isolation brings? Like, isolation causes us to um, to, to emphasize stuff that may be not as bad as what we think it is. Because you know when you're isolating yourself, who are you talking to? Typically yourself. You ever been angry with somebody and you drive down the road? Listen, the reason I know this is because we're all humans, right? All humans are like all humans, and all humans typically do the same thing. So you're driving down the road, you're angry with so-and-so, and you're going through the thing, and I'm going to tell you this. You get it. When I get there, I'm going to show you, and you're going through it, and you, who are you talking to? Yourself. You see what isolation does? makes you crazy. And you end up like Jonah, sitting over happy about a plant, waiting on God to change his mind about what's going to happen in Nineveh. Isolation always brings devastation into our lives. He says... Do you have good reason to be angry? Don't miss the simple reality that he never answers God's question, does he? He gets up and he goes. God asks a question. He ignores the question and now he flees again from God and he goes to the city and sits east of it. Listen, because you may be tuning the Lord out, and just because you don't respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit in your life, doesn't mean that God's not there. The problem still exists. Jonah is well on his way now down the emotional roller coaster again. As he heads out of the city and isolates himself from Nineveh, from God. And something at this point caught my eye in observation. It says this, that he made a shelter for himself. And he sat under it in the shade until he could see what happened in the city. Two observations. Number one, 
and this is in my notes. This is how the Holy Spirit directs sermons. Two things that happens. Number one is when we go through, when we separate ourselves from God, we what? We fix ourselves. We make ourselves comfortable. We put things, we eat things, we, we, we watch things, we, we do certain things that make us feel like we're getting better when really all we're doing is just trying to fix the problem, but we've still ran from God. The second thing that I noticed was he expected God to change his mind. I mean, did he think that his prayer and his pouting was going to change God's mind about having mercy on this great city? I think that's what he thought. And let me tell you, it wasn't until I had children that I figured this out. And now that I have children, listen, my children teach me more about my life than I learn about theirs. Because when a child wants something, what does he do? Please, Daddy, Daddy. He's up here sleeping right now. Now, I told him if he sleeps through the service, he will not be able to fish until Wednesday. So when he wakes up and I say, Son, no fishing until Wednesday, you know what he's going to do? But Daddy, please. They know it don't work. Listen, that's what Jonah's doing. Jonah decides he's going to go off and have a little pouting expertise and, and he's going to sit there and comfort himself and sit on this little shade that he's made and he's going to sit back and what is he going to do? He's going to wait and see what would happen in the city. I can tell you what's going to happen. What God said was going to happen is going to happen. What's going to happen is what Daddy said is going to happen. It should be that way. We should never let crying and pouting and drive our way of leading our family and our children. Because, listen, if we can alter the authority in our lives, then we'll always alter it. But God don't work that way. God does not work that way. I sometimes see other kids pouting and crying and getting all emotional for the hoped outcome of getting what they want. And so do we tell our kids, suck it up. Stop pouting. Well, that's what some people do. I'm probably, that's probably me more than anything, if I can be honest. Suck it up. Let me ask you this. Have you found this to be true in your life? Sometimes. See, we can look at Jonah, we can judge Jonah, right? I can look at my sleeping son, which is sleeping. Hey, wake up, boy. I can, I can judge him, right? But let's bring it down to reality. What about us? How many times as Christians do we pout? Do we try to persuade God? That we try to alter the sovereignty of God in our lives by, by, by pouting or crying or getting all emotional? See, it's easy to look at somebody else in Jonah, but, but how about me? 
How about you? How often do we do that to God? Here's this pouting prophet watching this city to see what happens. Now, I'm not really sure just what he is actually doing, but it tells us that he's watching and he's sitting under a shaded area that was n- normally built. Okay, so in that culture, they would, they would build areas to protect themselves from the sun during the noontime in which they were there to protect their harvest. There's the cultural setting there. The cultural understanding of what he built to protect himself from the sun. But I don't think he was there protecting a harvest. But I believe he was sitting there in isolation alone. Watching the people from the east. And if you've ever traveled over there or ever been in the mountains, when you're on a mountaintop on this side, you can see a long ways. And he's sitting over there on that mountaintop or wherever that hill, and he's watching the city, and he's ready to see God put the hammer down on him. Because he's pouting. I prayed. I pouted. Oh, Lord, I'm better to die. Don't save him. But that's what we do. That's what we do. Right? Well, not really, Pastor. Let me ask you this. Uh, When we forgive somebody, but then we want to watch them like uh, we are God, right? You ever forgiven anybody and watch them like a hawk? Listen, God knows their heart. They could look real good on the outside and still be raging wolves on the inside. Only God knows the hearts of people. The truth is, I don't know what he's doing up on this hill. I'm assuming that's what he's doing. It sure seems to fit the context, the passage, and what's going on. But he's in full descent on the roller coaster of emotions headed down in the wrong direction. And instead of staying there in Nineveh and rejoicing in their repentance, answering the question of God, he runs into isolation to pout about it. So then the Lord God, verse 6, appointed a plant, grew up over Jonah to be shaded over his head and to deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. Listen, Jonah's not comfortable. He thinks he's comfortable because he's got a little shade, a little plant that makes him happy. But really, he's angry. He's in distress. And while he may have built himself a cover to keep him from the heat of the day, listen, God appointed a plant to grow. Was it him? No. It was God who appointed the plant. Maybe not only to help him from the heat, but to help him from the heat that was inside which he was boiling with anger. It could have a double meaning. Listen, you can only comfort yourself so much. I want you to understand that. But I want you to grasp the fact that the only one who can truly give you comfort and joy and peace is God Himself. 
we can try to fashion all of the little things to make us happy, 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 when truly we sad, sad, sad. And unless God comes in and changes our heart, regenerates our heart, gives us hope that only comes through knowing Jesus Christ is our Savior, it's only then we can be healed from the inside out. Throughout Jonah, we see God being personified. I think it's what you would call the uh, personification in figures of speech. We see the personification of the storm. We see that in the ship. We see it in the great fish. We see it in the very plant that has grown up above Jonah. Everything is obeying God, right? But, Jonah. Isn't that funny? Everything's obeying God, but his prophet. And just like God appoints the plant, and it seems to lift his spirits, put him back into the upward emotional roller coaster ride which he's on. She seems very happy now. She's got him a little plant. But God, whom is so sovereign over all, points a worm to obey him. Now the worm's even obeying him. And the worm attacks the plant and it dies. And Jonah, again, now that was that, that we started off here, we went down, we came back up, we come back down, and now we got one of those short ones. You know, like they, they, they always got the real tall one, but they got mm, mm, the quick one. And that's what's just happened here. He was happy, happy, boom, now he's back down again already. God's not finished. Plant that made Jonah so happy is now withered. And he appoints this scorching east wind, on his head until the pouting prophet's about to faint, and we begin to hear from Jonah again, his true heart. You see, he comforted himself. He's sitting over there. He's got his shade. He's got a little thing. To, but inside, he's still the same. He still ain't changed. And as he begged with all of his soul to die, saying, death is better to me than life. You see, he ain't changed. He ain't felt no better. He's put on a facade. And too many times we walk in these doors with facades on where we say, oh, I'm good. But deep down inside, we ain't good. We got issues. This plant brought him joy. And now God is about to teach him a valuable Lesson, And if it's a lesson for Jonah, it's a lesson for you, and it's a lesson for me. And we need to have ears to hear. Listen, your isolation will only cause you to focus on yourself. Oh, poor pitiful me. Life is so bad, I just want to die. Everything around Jonah is obeying God And Jonah, the very man that God spoke to to deliver Nineveh, is ready to die. We'd call that probably a good bout of depression in our day. 
He sees life of no value. He's angry. He's pouting. He's willing to give up his own life on the account of God's grace and God's mercy. It has been an emotional roller coaster for this, pro- for this prophet. How about you this morning? Are you on that roller coaster of emotions today? Maybe you're listening online. What is it that's going on in your life? Listen, God's mercy and grace can extend to anyone. That is going to be important before we go to the next point. That's going to be vital for the Christian to understand that God's mercy can be extended. His compassionate love can be extended to anyone, at any time, anywhere, any place. We should celebrate when God has mercy on our enemies. It should be an answer to our prayers. First, we see the irritation of Jonah. Secondly, we see the isolation of Jonah. And now, thirdly, we see the issue of Jonah. We have looked what he has done, the effect of what he has done. And when we start in Jonah, we wanted to see the heart issue of Jonah. That was the objective, right? I mean, we can look at our problems, we can look at the anger, but what is the heart issue? That's where it boils down to. The all light, ding, 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 ding in your car. Something wrong with this light. No, the light ain't the problem. It's the problem's under the hood. The light is a byproduct of what's happened. His anger is a byproduct of something in his life. Sin. Why did he do these things? Yes, we want to be aware of the behavior. But too much we want behavior modification. So that when we see things in our own lives, we can say, hey, there's a problem. And now we're going to finally see the issue that Jonah has. He says here in verse 9, Then God said to Jonah, Do you have a good reason to be angry about the plant? He said, I have good reason to be angry even to death. Then the Lord said, You had compassion on a plant, which you did not work, which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight, and perished overnight, should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right hand and their left hand, as well as many animals. The issue of Jonah is about to reveal itself. God has begun with the question, do you have reason to be angry about the plant? Jonah? Well... How about answer God? He says, even to death. I have complete justification for being angry. This is what Jonah is saying. But God is about to teach, him, teach us his problem. You know what he does have the right I mean, 
He does not have the right. None of us have the right to be angry with that kind of anger, with God especially. Why? Because God is good. He is a good God. And if He is a good God and a sovereign God over our lives, whatever you are going through is the best thing for you, even if it may fail to look like it. God always works evil out for good. At what point in life does the clay have the right to answer back to the potter? You see, we're controlling people. We like to control the situation. But yet we see that with God, He controls the situation. And the potter has... The, the pot that's being formed has no right to say, You didn't form me right. This is what I need to be looking like. This is what I need to be doing. This is how it needs to operate. This is how it should be. You had compassion on the plant for which you did not work, which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Jonah, you didn't plant the plant. You didn't work the plant. You didn't cause the plant to grow. I did. God, the creator of heaven and earth. You had compassion on something you didn't even create. And compassion on something that doesn't even have a soul. You see, we need to listen very closely here. Those that are on iTunes, tune it up. Because something, this is something each and every one of us need to hear this morning. And I wish that we had a million people sitting in this room. And I can't be concerned with the outside world, okay? With those who are, are not believers and followers of Jesus Christ. But we as Christians need to tune our ears to what God is about to say. Not only here in Abundant Life, not only here in Hardyville, not only in Jasper County, not only in South Carolina, not only in the United States, but across the world, we need to hear this message. When we as human race begin to have compassion for plants and for animals of this world more than we do human life, we got major problems, major issues. When we start worshiping the creation instead of the Creator, we have big problems. When we start having more compassion for a plant than we do people, we got issues as a nation and as a church and as human beings in themselves. Listen, I'm going to get passionate, I can promise you, because listen, I can't do anything about this problem, but what I can do is use the mouth that God gave me to warn and to proclaim what God's Word says about this issue, which we see happening in the life of Jonah. I have seen an increase in this in our day. You don't see kids starving on TV anymore. You don't see Facebook posts of videos of starving children. What do you see? Starving animals. Pets without homes. Home shelters for animals, not humans. 
Listen, it's caused me to think about what we're doing in the, in the town of Hardyville for those people who have no home, who have no food, who have no shelter. What are we going to do for them? What are we going to do for them? Because I don't know about you, but yesterday I ate a piece of filet mignon. And it was good. But what about those out there that can't eat right now? Now, I know the problem exists all across the world, and I can't worry about what happens across the world right now because I, all I can do is answer for what happens in our church. What are we doing to take care of those in need out there? The poor, the needy. We see starving cats and dogs on TV, not kids anymore. I don't see people driving up to poverty-stricken places delivering people, but instead pets. Do you recall in the book of Matthew, chapter 12, we were reading about this in our family devotional this week. This is what this family devotional that we have at night with our kids, this is what drove this message. This is what pierced my heart. Jesus is there talking about the Sabbath. Those Pharisees are, are saying, you know, you can't do anything on the Sabbath. But I want you to listen to what he says. He says, departing from there, he went into their synagogues. And a man was there whom had a withered hand, or that was withered. And they questioned Jesus, asking this, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So they might accuse him. See, because you was under the law, you're not allowed to do anything on the Sabbath. But we're not under the law anymore. We're not slaves to the law. And he said to them, What man is there among you who has a sheep? And if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will he not take hold of it and lift it out? It's a rhetorical question, right? We know the answer. There's not one single person that would not do it. But listen to what his response is in verse 12. How much more valuable then is a man than a sheep? Let me tell you something. Don't tell me that human life is equal to animals. That's roots of evolution, not roots of biblical truth. But in a culture that's growing more pagan now than ever before, we're going to see this unfold. Trust me, just open your eyes and begin to look and seek for it, and you'll see people are beginning to worship animals and idolize them and treat them like human beings. All things are not equal. Well, they are. Well, I tell you this, tell that bass that my brother has in that little tank, tell, tell that bass, or I tell you what, even better off, don't tell the bass, tell the bait fish that's dropped into the tank that he's equal to that bass. Because you know what happens? He eat everyone you put in there. Equality doesn't exist in that manner. Yes, we're humans and, and, and animals have value. Don't misunderstand my message. 
God created animals, right? They have value. We should respect them. We should take care of them. But I'm beginning to wish that people owned persons instead of pets. Kids are dying and starving to death, and yet we go adopt ten cats, ten dogs. Why not adopt a child? Listen to what this article says right here. America spent an all-time high of $55.7 billion on their pets last year. And spending will creep close to $60 billion this year, an industry spokesman said on Thursday. Pets across America live like little humans these days. And as long as people treat them that way, pet spending should continue to climb, said the president and CEO of American Pet Products Association. Seriously, 60 billion. Listen, I tried to do the math on 60 billion. I, my calculator don't even operate on that number scale. I asked Siri, and she spit out fractions and numbers times tenth to the sixth power. Man, I can't remember how to do all that stuff. Sixty billion. You know how many humans we could feed with sixty billion dollars a year? Man, please, for the sake of my soul, go on Facebook today and look up homeless children, starving children, and just start scrolling through the pictures. And if your heart don't begin to break, then something's wrong. I want to go out and adopt a kid tomorrow. And I already have six to feed. When people become less valuable than pets, we got problems. We're spending 60 billion dollars now I, I i wanted to go a little further so i looked up some information did a little study and the gallup says that the average person spends 180 dollars a week on food now i'm sure that's in america because that's pretty high I, I would venture to say if you went to a third world country wherever that might be it ain't 180 dollars a week but just in america the average american spends 180 dollars a week we could feed 6,410,256 Americans with $60 billion every year on $180 a week. In 2012, 5.7% of households, that's 7 million households in America experience low food security. We can almost fix the starvation problem in America if we invested the money we spend on animals and put into people. Listen, the U.S. federal and state governments spent $1 billion Four hundred and forty-eight million seven hundred thirty-eight thousand five hundred thirty-four dollars toward conserving threatened endangered species in two thousand and ten. 
care net. One of the largest pregnancy protection agencies that exist today budgeted only $6,208,093. And as far as I could find and tell, there is no federal funding to protect human life. Listen, don't let the media drive your understanding of value. Let God drive our understanding of human life and value. Listen, Galatians 1.15 says, But when God, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb, and called me through His grace, was pleased, when does life begin? Listen, I want you to understand. Scripture teaches it begins at conception. That God is the one who places that child in that womb. Who's endangered? Well, let's see. During the Holocaust, somewhere between 11 and 17 million people were killed. During World War II, over 60 million people were killed due to war. Listen to this. This ought to take your breath away. It should break your heart. And it should call out for the church in America and across the world to stand up and speak out against it at least. One million 600,000 babies are aborted in the United States every year. Per day, that's 4,383 babies aborted. Per hour, that's 183. Per minute, that's three. By the time I'm done with this sermon, which I can promise you will at least last for an hour, there will have been at least 180 babies aborted. Who's in danger? Puppies or people? Within this two and a half hours that we've been here today, if you came to Sunday school hour, you would have been somewhere around 50 unborn kids aborted in just America alone. Since Roe vs. Wade, there have been 50 million children aborted. And yet, when I was pastoring in Montana, they will invested more than some $100 million in, roof, in wolf reintroduction. Yet, what do we do? To speak out about it is being unpolitically correct. And, and listen, one day I will be cast into prison for, pre for preaching this message. There will come a time when it just will be hate speech if God doesn't, by His grace and mercy, relent against us. What action do we take? You know that there is a chance that even because I mentioned this today that I will be hated. You know what? 
I don't care. Because at least in my own little church that God has entrusted this church and you into my leadership, I will preach God's Word and tell you what evil is and what good is and what evil is and what good is. And yes, we might not be able to change the world, but we can do our part. We need help, God. We need God to intervene. God is growing and working and preparing people in Nineveh. And so God says to Jonah, Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right hand and left hand, as well as many animals? God cares about people, and God cares about animals. But there's a value in which Jesus Christ states there's a value in which God created human life differently than He created the animals. And after the fall of man, He made it very clear that order. That we are to have dominion over them. With dominion comes stewardship. And yes, we should protect animals. But listen, making animals people is not what God intended. I was at the Chick-fil-A and lo and behold, amazed as I was, here this lady comes out with her dog in a stroller. It sounds funny, right? We got a problem. I mean, we got a problem. We should concern ourselves with animals, with the environment. But when we're killing babies that are unborn and saying they're not a life, and yet we spend millions of dollars to protect babies of endangered animals, we have major problems. When we allow children to starve and feed animals while they die, I just, I can't understand. God designed animals to feed themselves. That's part of the program. They were put into the garden and they, were to, they didn't eat each other then, did they? They ate plants. They were vegetarians. And it wasn't until man sinned and was fallen that God said, Oh, of these animals you shall eat. That's how you should have your food. Many animals survive on their own. Deer survive on their own. Elk survive on their own. Moose survive on their own. Alligators survive on their own. But what do they tell you? On the sign there on the lake, what does it say? Do not feed the alligators. Why? Because they become dependent on humans and then they can't survive. We've created a $60 billion industry.
Jonah should be more worried about these people than he is this silly plant that God made and God destroyed on his own. There are over 120 people who don't know their right hands from their left hands. It's better translated children than people. Jonah has missed it. And so many people in our culture today miss the value God places on a human life. All we are doing in America is a legalized holocaust. God loves His creation. God loves humans. And He knew us before we were formed in the womb. And God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to forgive us all. And if this book that we worship, well, the God of the Bible we worship, if this book which we read about the truth of God's Word is accurate and true, then humans will either spend eternity separated from God or in unity with God. And we have to be the tools in which share that hope. At some point, the roller coaster will come to a stop and each of us will give an account. I know life is like a roller coaster. But God knows when you're up and God knows when you're down. God is right there to bring you through whatever valley you are in or whatever peak you are on. He is there to guide you and me through. And all you have to do is trust in the Lord. Don't run, Americans. Don't run, church. God is not blinded to our murder. But God's grace, I want you to understand, covers murder. We must stop and we must repent. God can forgive the greatest sin and sinner that exists. Listen, as your pastor, I want you to understand that I have made grievous mistakes in my life. But I'm changed now. God in His great mercy and grace has shown me what wrong is, what evil is. And if it's evil then and if it's evil now, it will always be evil. And if God can give me, keep me peace and me comfort and me joy, He can do the same for you no matter what you've done in your life, no matter what sin you've committed, no matter how many abortions you've had, young ladies, no matter how many abortions that you've been a part of, young men, God can forgive you and bring that and restore that joy and that peace and that comfort so that when you're 10, 15, 20 years down the road and you look back on your life and you go, What did I do? God can say, I can forgive you. And in what you mean for evil, God says, I use for good. Because every child, those 60, 50 50 million kids that die from abortions, let me tell you what, they get a front row seat to the kingdom of God. And what we mean for evil, God uses for good. We should stand up against it. And understand that when we fail, God never fails. And when we fell in life, understand Jesus Christ never fails. And that's why he came to the cross. To give his life a ransom for all. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your...